Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of This Week in Sports. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. It is Friday, March 5th, 2021. It's about 8 p.m. here on the East Coast. Um, little late start today, but that's okay. I am ramping up softball practices every day now, so I got home pretty late ate dinner a little while ago and got everything set up, got my notes orchestrated and things in order. So now I'm ready to uh, give you guys a pretty uh, fill, uh, you know, it's it's, it's going to be a, a, a pretty good episode. There's some good sound bites in here. Um, we've got some good stuff going on. And um, yeah, like I said, softball, our season starts in a couple of weeks. And um, what's cool about that is you can watch the games um, live via Zoom, I believe. So I will post any links for those games when we do start up. Going to be our first games because we, you know, in like a year since my dad took over coaching at the college. And yeah, exciting time. So um, we're ramping up Monday through Saturday pretty much for practices. So um, my episodes going forward probably going to be uh, a little bit later on Fridays now, or maybe even Saturdays, depending upon, you know, how my day is going. So, um, with that being said, let's dive right in. We're going to sort of, I mean, we're on episode 132 now, and the fact that I want to change things up and do it in a little bit different order, I started off for probably a hundred and something episodes, right? You know, this podcast is, I keep things lined in chronological order from, you know, the weekend through Friday, right? Like weekend up till Friday. Um, and then I usually categorize things by sport. Um, well, I'm going to try categorizing things by the day. So, uh, we're going to start with Monday, March 1st, which will be our, you know, weekend recap and give you the biggest headlines from the weekend. Then we'll go Tuesday, which will be Monday's headlines, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll just see how that plays out and, and go from there. So we're going to start off uh, some weekend recapping with first up would be um, the Kings Buddy Healed. Played at Oklahoma, right? We know he was a pretty good college player. Got Oklahoma sort of on the map in the NCAA tournament before. Then, of course, there was Trey Young at Oklahoma. Um, but guy from the Bahamas, all that good stuff. Who would have thought Buddy Heald, the fastest player to 1,000 made three-pointers. It took him just 350 games to accomplish the feat. 19 less games than... You guessed it, Steph Curry. He needed seven threes on Sunday, which you might think is a lot, but in today's NBA, not so much, right? These guys are shooting threes at an incredible pace. Um, so he got to, I believe, seven or eight by halftime alone. Um, actually, yeah, I think he hit the seven right around halftime, finished eight of 15, 30 points. The Kings blew a late lead losing that game 127 to 126 to the Charlotte Hornets. Listen, Buddy Heald, when you think Buddy Heald, a lot of people might not really know know who he is, maybe know him from college. The fact that 
Buddy Heald, or anyone for that matter, is breaking a Steph Curry record. Steph Curry, mind you, greatest three-point shooter of all time, right? Possibly greatest shooter of all time, just in general. He's that good, and he's that skilled. So for someone like Buddy Heald, who plays in a smaller market in Sacramento, um, Luke Walton's the coach there, although he might be on the hot seat from what I'm hearing. He could be on his way out because they're just not playing up to par, really. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on for the second half, or maybe uh, he gets let go at the end of the half. As we've seen now, a couple coaches uh, get fired so far this season. Um, but back to Buddy Heald, yeah, he's nothing to scoff at. You know, he's not the greatest all-around player, but he's really upped his three-point shooting over his first, I want to say, like five seasons that he's been in the NBA. Um, I don't have, I, I thought I had that number of how long he's been in the NBA, but still it's, it's something to applaud. It, it's not one of these like joke records that, I mean, this is, this is, this is quite impressive, like I said, but, um, like I said, also the amount of shots that these players are taking and making and the, the, the contested threes and step-back threes. Players are making threes at an incredible pace, incredible rate um, that we've never seen, the likes of which we've never seen. Some people want to get rid of the corner threes and make it bring back like old-time basketball where we see more driving. Um, but, you know, I'm a shooter myself, so I like to see it. Let's now talk about who we think could be the next Buddy Heald the next player to break Buddy Heald's record of 350 games to hit 1,000 three-pointers. And I spoke about it, guy from Oklahoma, Trey Young, right? Look at Trey Young, okay? He, um, let's see, he makes about two and a half made threes per game thus far. Um, but he would need to pick up his pace just a tad bit because Buddy Heald is at 2.8 made threes for his career. So when we look at the player with the most likely chance to break this record or with the best chance, that would be Miami Heat's Duncan Robinson. Um, the Heat guard has, let's see, 392 made threes through 122 games, which is a pace that would have him surpassing the 1,000 mark after 312 games. That's kind of incredible. But again, you know, take it with a grain of salt just a bit because the pace at which threes are being shot. Um, and again, nobody is going to compare Duncan Robinson or Buddy Heald to a Steph Curry, you know, to the all-time greats. Um, so, yeah. Okay, next up, some sad news. CBS Sports commentator and former NFL player Irv Cross died at the age of 81 over the weekend. So, um, you know, I personally didn't know who Irv Cross was, so I had to do some, some digging, look into this. He was a former NFL player that was hired by CBS in 1971 as a game analyst. Um, his role in the company did grow to include covering other sports as well. He was a staple on the NFL today. For 14 years, he spent a total of 23 years with CBS Sports. Um, in 2009, he became the first black recipient of the Pete Rozelle Award, which is obviously 
Um, as you may know, an annual honor given by the Pro Football Hall of Fame to a member of the media. And his playing career, uh, mostly in Philly, he was drafted in 1961 by the Eagles, spent the first five seasons of his career there, also played for the Rams for three years. He was named to the Pro Bowl in back-to-back years, 1964 and 65. So RIP to Irv Cross. Next up, Colin Morikawa. He wins the WGC Workday Championship. Shot a three under par on 69, uh, excuse me, three under par round of 69 on Sunday to preserve his final round lead and win the tournament by three strokes. He entered Sunday with a two-stroke lead and was nearly flawless. Um, had an early bogey and then just dominated. And for a guy, I think he's what, like 23 years old, Morikawa. He's now won like four uh, four tournaments. Uh, really, really good young player. Boomer Esiason says all the time on WFAN that he's got this the most gifted swing on the tour. Just mechanically, everything Morikawa does is absolute perfection. Um, and I couldn't agree more. His swing is just buttery smooth. Um, his final round, he strung together three birdies in five holes to finish the front nine, then added a fourth at number 12 to extend the lead to three. He finished 18 under par. And like I said, his fourth career victory in such a short time, uh, that was his first since the PGA championship in August, which I mean, for, for golfers, if you're not one of the top players in the world, you're Dustin Johnson's things of that nature to win in August and now to win in uh, March or, or February, uh, end of February, that's really not that long of a stretch, especially for a guy that's basically a rookie at, at this, you know, and he's just starting out. Um, interestingly enough, he's going to be a guy to watch, obviously, moving forward as his career progresses. Like I said, he's only in his early 20s. Um, but he joins Tiger Woods as the only players to win a major and WGC event before turning 25. Like, guys, anytime you're in uh, the same sentence or being, you know, with Tiger Woods, that, that that says a lot. So, again, Colin Morikawa, congrats on the WGC champ, uh, Workday Championship victory. Uh, speaking of Tiger, many players, this was pretty cool. They honored him on Sunday, obviously, because of the, uh, you know, in lieu of his horrific car accident. Um, many players wore his signature red shirt and black pants, as well as a few select other players, um, that played with golf balls stamped with the word tiger on them. Um, I believe I saw, uh, Matt Kuchar was one of them, maybe Bryson DeChambeau as well. Okay. Next up five star tight end, Eric Gilbert decommitting from Florida. So this is a little bit interesting. Florida has sort of become, you know, tight end you of late, um, dating back to like the Aaron Hernandez days and, of course, Kyle Pitts, who um, I want to say Colin Coward. Somebody said that the Jets should take him at number two, which is just kind of crazy, but um, to take a tight end that early. Somebody said it, but anyway, um, Kyle Pitts just... top tight end in the draft this year. So Florida, you know, they have their fair share of tight ends. Although I probably shouldn't have said that they're tight end you because Iowa might have something 
uh, to say about that with George Kittle, Noah Fant, um, and all those guys. But anyway, back to uh, Eric Gilbert. He was the number five overall recruit and top tight end prospect in the 2020 class. He left LSU in December and committed to Florida on January 31st. Um, He did not offer any indication as to where he would be going. He did say, um, I will be, uh, this is a quote, I think he put this on social, I will not be announcing my final decision until I am enrolled into school and on campus. And that's interesting because somebody's probably going to spot him, in which case this will probably leak out before he even says anything or someone in admissions or whatever will see that he's enrolled there, and this is just going to come out soon enough. Okay, let's talk about some serious, um, serious talent coming out, uh, coming from Gonzaga. They complete their undefeated season. Now, granted, you want to give Mark Few all this credit. He's been there a bunch of years and his winning percentage and all that, but I argue with a lot of people, um, their toughest opponent year in and year out is Mount St. Mary's. And we've gone on like a three, four, five-year stretch now where Mount St. Mary's can't even compete with with Gonzaga and they're getting blown out by 25 and 30. So uh, we're at the time now, and, and I'll put my foot down, and I'll say this right here, right now. Gonzaga needs to leave that conference 100%. Does Gonzaga need to leave, okay, and not only do they need to leave, um, they need to, sorry, they, they need to leave the West Coast Conference and maybe join like the Pac-12 or, I don't know, they need to join another conference, okay, because I'm sick and tired of watching them get the, you know, they're the number one team in the country and undefeated and all this stuff, but who are they really playing? Well, I'll tell you who they're really playing. They they beat uh, Loyola Marymount on Saturday night, 86-69, to complete, completing their first undefeated regular season, which, you know, COVID, all that, lack of fans, that's, that's impressive regardless of what conference you're in. They became the first D1 team to enter conference tournament, to enter their conference tournament undefeated since Kentucky in 2015. That Kentucky team famously ended up losing. They didn't win at all. Um, I think I want to say that was the team that had Towns, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, just an unbelievable team that had no right not winning at all. Uh, Gonzaga also became the first team in Division I men's history to beat four AP top 20 teams in its first seven games of the season. So, you know, I jumped the gun a little bit. They don't play anybody there in a weak conference. No, they did play some good teams. But again, playing, you know, top 10 teams in the beginning of the season just isn't the same as you know, towards the back end of the season. So we'll see comes comes March Madness tournament time um, if they even participate. My dad seems to think that uh, because of COVID and stuff, they're not going to to be in it, but I think that's ridiculous. Um, it's quite possible he, he did see that, but uh, I don't think that as the number one overall seed, they would, you know, not want to compete in that. Uh, let's see. They have now pushed their streak to 21 straight consecutive double-digit wins as the top team in the AP poll, passing the mark held by the John Wooden and Bill Walton-led 71-72 UCLA squad 
that went 30-0 and en route to a national championship. That is impressive. I would have never guessed that that Bill Walton uh, UCLA team didn't win more than 21 consecutive double-digit games. Um, and funny enough, only three teams, regardless of rank, over the past 60 years have won 21 games in a row by double digits. This year's Gonzaga team, the 2018-2019 Gonzaga team, and you guessed it, the 2016-17 Gonzaga team. Uh, the previous two, though, however, failed to extend the streak to 22. And shame on me, I should have known if they were able to extend said streak, but I believe they play... Uh, they're waiting for the conference tournament because I believe the yeah the West Coast Conference tournament started already. So they next play. They got to play. They may they might play tomorrow. Um, it says Santa Clara Pacific and uh, then St. Mary's is playing to be determined. Um, I don't know why it's to be determined. Okay, uh, this has this has Gonzaga not playing until Monday night. Uh, so Gonzaga might have a couple buys, and they're probably waiting for the other games to go. So Monday night, let's see. That could be some serious bet if somebody were to pick whoever they play to beat them because, hey, history repeats itself and says they're not going to win 22 straight by double digits. At least maybe take the spread. I'm sure it's going to be double digits, but uh, if I had to guess, lightning ain't striking twice or in this case three times and I think they win by double digits let's see my brother's texting me he's in the NBA top shot waiting room he pre-ordered I forgot about this seeing stars one I was in it earlier today they gave out like 61,000 I was like 89,000 in line so I missed out and then I forgot because I was preparing this podcast for all you fine folks that listen to it I forgot to jump in the queue, and my brother texted me, like, what's your number? And I totally forgot. So he was able to get the pack. There's one more chance I have tomorrow, I think, to get it. Uh, so he was able to to grab it. Um, so good on him. It was 14 bucks. If you don't know what NBA Top Shot is, go look it up. It has to do with blockchain technology, NFTs, um, all that stuff. I'm not going to go over it right now. But if you'd like, maybe I have a full episode about it or something. Okay, where are we? Um, okay, so yeah, that's it basically for Gonzaga. They're playing Monday. Okay, let's get to Tuesday now. Um, let's talk J.J. Watt finally announced his team that he is joining, and it is the Arizona Cardinals. Let me pull up. Let me pull up my soundboard here and go to um let's see do i have let's go with this one jj watt going to the arizona cardinals in my opinion like i had high hopes like oh maybe he was gonna go to an actual like decent contender or like a good team but he chose arizona and I, I, he gave some sort of reason. I didn't even care uh, because once I found out he's going to Arizona, it's like, okay, he's not staying in the AFC. He's not going to like a Bills, Patriots, Dolphins. Not Don't have to worry about it. Um, 
But I mean, the Cardinals are an okay team. They're like a they're they're on the brink of playoffs. They'll probably make the playoffs this upcoming season. I still don't know how I feel about their offense with Kyler Murray and if he can, you know, last long term. Um, but yeah, that that him signing with Arizona, it just it fell flat. Like it, it did nothing for me. Uh they're giving him two years, thirty one million with twenty three mil guaranteed. I don't know if any other teams were offering that much. That seems to be a hell of a lot of money for a guy that can barely stay on the field anymore. Next up, the Hawks named Nate McMillan their interim head coach after the firing of Lloyd Pierce. I alluded to some fired uh, coaches in the in the NBA thus far. Um, yes, excuse me, Lloyd Pierce has been let go. Monday night they they did this. Um, obviously we saw Ryan Saunders get let go earlier last week's episode. I talked about that Uh, a little bit about Pierce since taking over in the 2018, 19 season, he compiled an overall record of 63 and 120. entering the season this year with obviously high aspirations. You've got John Collins. They got Clint Capella. They've got Trey young. I mean, this team should be better. They're, they were off to a 14 and 20 record. And now let me pull that up real quick. We're at the half. We're at the break, right? All-star break. And their record is, of course, their first game with Nate McMillan, and they were able to win that. Um, they are, Atlanta is sitting at 11th in the Eastern Conference at 16 and 20. So, of course, you know, they get a little jolt with Nate McMillan win two in a row. Um, I did hear that a lot of the players on the team wanted Pierce out. Wanted Lord Pier- uh, Lord wanted Lloyd Pierce gone. They wanted a different voice in the locker room. So I don't know what was going on there, um, but interesting, uh, very interesting. And of course, we know Nate McMillan has a history. He's been a head coach in this league with Indiana. I think from like twenty, was it what twenty sixteen to I think like four or five years he was with Indiana. Okay, moving on the NIT is going to be played in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex with just a 16-team field, which kind of is surprising considering Texas lifted their mask mandate, and now you can just run wild and run loose without a mask, and they're back open 100%. Um, But I have to believe that this is um, higher powers that be. Of course, this was probably announced before the mask stuff was thrown out the window. Um, This was announced late Monday night. Yeah, it's typically a 32 team tournament, so this kind of this, this this is what bothers me about COVID. You're taking opportunities once in a lifetime opportunities no less because these players are only going to be, you know, in their 20s once, only going to be in college once, and so to take it away from 16 teams so that they cannot play um it is just wrong in my opinion, but it is what it is. Um I don't I don't get it. I mean, why can't they do the 32-team tournament like usual? Because most of these early rounds are played at home sites anyway, and then the NIT is played, what, at like MSG or something like that, right? Um, but they want to keep this kind of like they're doing for the actual NCAA turn- tournament, so they're moving it to like one central uh, location amid the pandemic and yada, yada, yada. Um, games will be played at Comerica Center in Frisco and the UNT Coliseum, uh, University of North Texas Coliseum um, on, well, that's in Denton, 
Denton, Texas. I, I don't know Jack about Texas, so don't know where that is in comparison to Houston, Dallas, you name it. Uh, that tournament, mark it in your calendars if your team is playing. My team very well could be in the NIT uh, Rutgers, so that starts March 17th with the NIT Championship on March 20th. Why? Because they laid an absolute egg against Nebraska, the worst team in the conference in the Big Ten uh, a few days ago. Uh, what was it, Monday night, something like that. Uh, just absolutely horrible. They lost by 21, um, and it was the worst loss of the season, and they're in jeopardy. They get Minnesota tomorrow on the road. If they don't beat Minnesota, my guess is they don't make the tournament. And then it will be going on, what, 29 years, 30 years? It was 1991. So we'll be going on, what, like 30 years? I'm tired, my math, I don't know. Whatever it is, I've never seen my alma mater in the NCAA tournament. And forget the 70s, what was it, 74, 78, whatever the hell it was, when Rutgers was in the Final Four the year they were like in the, in the what was it, Atlantic 10 back then when they basically went undefeated and all that good stuff. And St. Bonaventure uh, gave them uh, a scare at the barn, or did they beat them? I don't even, I don't remember. I've seen the documentary on the Big Ten Network, um, but you get the point. That's a pipe dream. To think Final Four, uh, I'll be 75, 80 years old when I see Rutgers get to the Final Four because I laid into them a little bit last week. Uh, as I watch, I, I torture myself watching this team. Uh, they can't shoot free throws. Their their form is totally off. It, it's pathetic. Uh, I Like I said, I coach softball. And it's very similar to baseball, which, you know, I played and I watch, I'm a sports junkie. I watch it. I dissect it. I know the ins and outs probably better or just as good as any professional. Okay. Um, that's the beauty of having a father who is one of the winningest coaches, um, high school baseball coaches in New Jersey state history, and I bashed him a little bit last week about sleeping through sports, um, which he, uh, you know, which he scoffed at. But so I'll give him some high praise here. Um, sixth all time in winning percentage in high school baseball in the state of New Jersey. You can look that up. Two hundred seventy-five and seventy-five record. Would have liked to see him coach. A lot longer, but hey, um, he compromised. He decided to step down from coaching so he could watch me and my sister grow up and play. Um, so, but yeah, um, we know a thing or two in my household when it comes to to sports and mechanically. Look, I didn't play basketball at a collegiate level or even in high school. I played baseball and a little bit of soccer, right? But Lawrence Frank also didn't play basketball, and he coached the New Jersey Nets, and he coached Jason Kidd, and he commanded respect, and he's been an assistant coach in this league and, and, and for a number of years, right? So it, you don't have to play fully to know, but trust me when I say that I know. I absolutely know. And shooting form-wise, Rutgers is awful. Well, so it's gotten to a point I'm not just going to bash Rutgers because it's a lot of other teams in this country, in the country, and a lot of players in the nation in college basketball that have horrific, horrific shooting 
motion, uh, mechanics rather. Um, a guy like Ron Harper Jr. on Rutgers, I seem to bash him a lot, but he, you know, he's the guy I'm watching every day. He was on the wooden wooden watch list earlier in the seat. Give me a break. He he made. Uh, he's a finalist for some award for like, what is it? Small forward, top small forward or whatever it is, right? No chance that he deserves to be on this list. I'm sorry. He, he, he's a, so Rutgers true problem is Geo Baker's their best player. Geo Baker got hurt again this year at the beginning of the season. Then he came back. He struggled to find his stroke. Then he found it a little bit, but nobody on this team is consistent right now throughout the entire season. Rutgers' best players have been Jacob Young and Miles Johnson when he can stay out of foul trouble. But most consistently, it's been Jacob Young, the transfer from Texas, who's a senior, obviously. Um, But what I'm getting at is that Ron Harper Jr., I bash him a lot because his father, Ron Harper Sr., has won NBA titles with Michael Jordan and played in the NBA. And when I watch Ron Harper Jr. shoot, he practically shoots two-handed, which is something I did when I was like five years old before my dad quickly corrected me. And then I got older and I literally started from the basics. Like Steph Curry talks about with his dad, uh, his dad, Del Curry, who was a sniper in the NBA when he was, uh, what was it coming out of high school, right? Or his junior year going into senior or senior summer of his senior year, something like that. They literally, reconfigured his entire shooting motion because he knew, I think maybe it was in college actually, whatever it was, they knew that he wouldn't make it at the next level. His shot would get stuffed and blocked because he shot from his hip, okay? You can't shoot from your hip. You have to shoot above your head, okay? Look at right. I always tell this to people that can't shoot foul shots. And I know as good as Steph Curry is, he's amazing, but I always tell people, you watch Ray Allen shoot a friggin' foul shot and you will learn and you will get better. And we tell girls that play softball and even, you know, baseball players, whatever. You can't get better by just doing. You have to watch. Um, because I watch, you know, when I coach and when I watch certain things and I see mistakes that are made or I see a player that is throwing the ball like close to their head or short arming the ball, we, you know, you, it. it you, you wonder, have you ever watched a game on television? Because when you watch on television, it doesn't look like that. That's not how you're supposed to do it. So those are the little things. If you want to get better, you, you obviously uh, have to have good coaching. Number one, a lot of people growing up these days, a lot of high school coaches, horrible, horrible coaches. They're there to collect a paycheck. As sad as it is, that's the truth. They don't care about coaching. I watched them sit on buckets and do nothing, no coaching whatsoever. When I'm out there, you're you know, you're yelling and screaming, and you're correcting every single play. If you know what you're doing, there's probably going to be something wrong on every single play, or every time something happens. And you can correct it if you're good enough. You can see it. And a lot of them are just nobodies that are there to collect a paycheck, and they don't truly know what they're doing. Um, so that bothers me a lot and, and shooting motion in basketball really, really bothers me because I like to think that I have amazing shooting form and I just can't help but think if I was, you know, six, four, if I was Ron Harper junior size, I'd be an NBA prospect. 100%. I would be a stud and I just watched this big body guy and he really can't dribble. He tries to drive a lot of times 
and then he can't get by somebody. He picks his dribble up, and now he's in the middle of the lane around four or five guys, and he's looking for an outlet to to to, to reset and, and kick out. Um, and then other times he tries to bully his way through. Maybe it works. A lot of times it doesn't. And the thing he had going at the beginning of the season that really helped him was his shooting. He was, I'll give it, him credit, he was making a lot of shots. Um, and, you know, it... it he, he was on the Wooden Award a watch list because he was averaging like almost 30 points a game because they were playing a couple donkeys. And then his shooting form came back down to earth, which it always does when you don't have good shooting form, okay? He juts his elbow out, and he basically shoots two-handed. And your, your father's a pro, a former pro. Steph Curry's father is a former pro, and Steph Curry is the best shooter in history, Ron Harper Jr.'s father is a former pro, and Ron Harper Jr. is a terrible shooter. I just don't, there's no correlation. I don't understand it. That's bad parenting, man. Uh, it's bad. And that's bad coaching at Rutgers to allow that. Um, I don't care what level you're playing at. If you're at that level and you're shooting the basketball wrong, I don't care that you've been doing it your entire life. They need to correct it. They're doing that player a disservice by not correcting it because now he has no chance to play at the next level and improve. Okay, he's he he's plateaued. That's it. There's no there's no there's nowhere else he can go because they don't correct it. And probably he's been a you know a NBA pro a NBA champ son, and you know he he could do no wrong his whole life, right? So nobody corrected him. Well, that needs to stop here. And then you take a guy like Geo Baker, who's probably their best shooter, and he has an awful shot as well. Like people, some most people don't realize when they, sh you know, he shot, he made the shot. He, he, oh, he's a great shooter. He makes all these. Sh I don't care that you're making shots if you don't shoot the ball right. It will find you'll you'll find a way to come back down to earth and suck. And that's what ha is happening with Rutgers: the inconsistency. People. Uh, don't understand, oh, but they were great. They, they have good games and, and then some games where they literally can't shoot. Yes, because they're being exposed because at the end of the day, the cream rises to the top and Rutgers ain't the cream, okay? They have no shooting. Geo Baker shoots the ball on the way down, not on the way up like you're supposed to. He, he jumps and like holds and he's like shoots, he releases like almost on his way down. He has a great step back and when he does stuff like that, his shot is a little bit smoother. But my God, who's the shooting coach at, at Rutgers? I mean, I'm 10 minutes away. I could drive there and give these guys free lessons for Christ's sake. Start under the basket like you're playing um, around the world, right? Start under the basket, one hand drills, one hand wrist snaps, wrist snaps. Watch the ball rotate. Uh, you should not see the seams of the ball. The ball should not rotate, uh, you know, sideways or crooked or spin like a tornado, like Joe Kim Noah shoots the basketball, right? Then you start to slowly move back. One hand, one hand, one hand. Then you slowly bring in the left hand or the right hand, your off hand, if you're a lefty or righty. And then that's your just, you're simply, that is your guide hand. That hand just is there to guide the basketball. You do that a thousand times every day, then a two thousand times, three thousand, whatever it takes till you master it. And then you work on your footwork and you work on squaring your shoulders up to the bat. I mean, this is just simple stuff that I'm that I'm talking about. And I've 
basically never played basketball in my life at, at any, I played rec basketball up till eighth grade. Okay. Uh, that's my knowledge of basketball or my professionalism. Right. But you hear me speak on it and it sounds like I, I know what I'm talking about. Right. Because I do, because I watch, because I study it, because I, I was taught it by my father. Okay. Who knows what he's doing, who played in high school, who, Basically, what I'm getting at is that if if you don't have the right teachers and the right coaches and you don't have the work ethic, then you're not going to get better. And I want to see this team get better. I don't want to just bash them and bash them and bash them. I truly want to see them get better, but they're not getting better. And I have to wonder whether that is coaching or that's the players or what. I, I mean, it's going to fall on the coaching because when I watch as a fan and I see the same things over and over and over again and it doesn't improve, well, that's on coaching. And I've been on this for too long, so we are going to move on. Um, but like I said, Rutgers plays tomorrow against Minnesota. If they don't win that game, they'll be in the NIT probably. Okay, let's talk about the Chicago Bears. Interesting one here. They have hired former Texas coach Tom Herman as their offensive, excuse me, as an offensive assistant. He will, uh, basically it's offensive analyst slash uh, special projects coach. Uh, Texas fired him, obviously, at the end of this past season after four years and an overall 32-18 and 18 record, but they owe him like 15 mil plus, so he could take any job he wants. This is like a consulting gig for him. Okay, the Nets beat the Spurs the other night in overtime, 124-113. to This was the same night Rutgers, I think, got smashed against um, uh, Nebraska, uh, I, I fell asleep early, uh, so luckily I didn't have to watch both of those. But the Nets snapped a 17-game losing streak in San Antonio. The last time they won in San Antonio, way back in 2002. Pretty ridiculous. And James Harden added his seventh triple-double with the Nets, going for 30 points, 15 assists, and 14 rebounds. And then after the game, Kyrie Irving said, you're going to have to start uh, getting used to the phrase, uh, what was it, um... Oh, God. He said you're going to have to get used to the phrase pretty damn good. or I forget exactly what he said, but he was just making the point that, yeah, Harden is pretty good, and you're going to have to hear about it on basically a consistent uh, basis. Um, in the process of that triple-double, James Harden became the first player with 30 points, 10 rebounds, 15 assists, and zero turnovers in a game since individual turnovers were first tracked in 77-78 season. Okay, let's talk Wednesday. Number four, Illinois, routing number two, Michigan, without Io DeSunmo. Unbelievable. This was one of the craziest upsets of the season. Um you think, oh, number four beating number two, that's not really an upset like that. No, they won 76-53 to in Ann Arbor without a player of the year contender um, in Io DeSunmo. I mean, ridiculous. Uh, he has a broken nose, which is a little bit soft, if you ask me, but I don't want to harp, you know, I don't know the extent of the injury. There could be some lingering concussion-like symptoms, whatever. Trent Frazier in DeSunmo's absence, 
I say Dasunmu. A lot of announcers I hear it it sounds like they're saying Dasunmo. So somebody's gotta help me out here. Trent Frazier, 22 points to lead Illinois, who had never before beaten a team ranked higher than number three. Um hold on. I have this written a little weird. Who had never before beaten a team ranked higher than number three. Indiana in 1989 on the road. Okay, so they beat Indiana in 89 on the road. Um, They limited Michigan to 34.7% shooting, led by as many as 28, beating a ranked opponent for the second time in four days. They beat uh, 23 Wisconsin on Saturday. Hey, good news for Rutgers. They beat uh, Illinois earlier in the season, so that might help their case with those quad one wins. But, God, those losses... Those bad losses, Nebraska, really, that hurts. Um, the the uh, Wolverines had their seven-game winning streak snapped. Their only previous loss this season came at then number 23, Minnesota, on January 16th. I want to say was that that might have been right before they, they got shut down um, with all the crazy COVID stuff. Um, but let's keep this into perspective. It's one loss. It doesn't mean Michigan's bad. Illinois is better than them. So take it with a grain of salt. Okay, next up, four-star quarterback Cade Klubnick commits to Clemson. Shocker, right? Another top-star quarterback uh, headed to Clemson. It's either like Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, you know, those are the schools. Um, He's a recruit out of Texas. Little, you know, tough pill to swallow if you're UT there. He will graduate from high school in 2022 and join Dabo Sweeney's program. Hey, if Dabo is still there, right? Who who knows? Will he go to the NFL? I don't know. Um, He released a video on Instagram thanking his family for their support and announcing his commitment to the Tigers. And of course, the movie Safety on Disney Plus doesn't hurt Clemson's case to get recruits, right? That's freak. Free publicity right there. Okay, dunk and three-point contest participants for Sunday's All-Star Game weekend. Uh, It's not really an All-Star weekend because it's all happening on one night for the first time ever. Um, The Knicks, Obi Toppin, Trailblazers, and Fernice uh, Simons, and Pacers, Kasha Stanley will compete in the three-man slam dunk contest. How boring this is going to be with just three guys. Toppin's a rookie. Uh, My pick, honestly, is going to be Anthony Simons. because obviously he's named after Anthony Penny Hardaway. And, um, you know, Anthony is a nice way of saying Anthony. So that's the guy I'm rooting for. But I think he's got the ups. And I want to go and check uh, DraftKings, see what the odds are for these three guys. I got Because I might seriously lay some dough on that. Um, that will be at halftime of the All-Star Game on Sunday. And then for the three-point contest, you've got Steph Curry, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Zach Levine. I am disappointed, my man, Joe Harris, who leads the NBA. None of that, uh, you know, fake, uh, like, centers that made a couple threes all year that are shooting slightly higher percentage than Joe Harris. No, Joe Harris is leading the NBA in three-point percentage. I will pull it up exactly right now. Just to be sure, let's go here, stats. Let's go three-point percentage. Okay, so, no, that's three free throw percentage. Three-point percentage. Yeah, like Tony Snell is shooting 56.5% from three, and then Joe Harris is number two at 50, like 50.6. I don't count 
Tony Snell at 56.5%. Because Tony Snell, um, I mean, how many threes has he shot? Actually, Tony Snell, three of four, three of four, two of five, oh, of two, four of six, three of five, four of five. That's actually pretty freaking good. Um, that's actually quite impressive. Let me see. Three pointers. Um, 1.5 to 2.7. It doesn't tell me how many total threes he's made, but uh, obviously, yeah, it's Joe Harris who leads in three-point percentage, and I wish he would have been in it. He's a former winner. My dad's like, well, maybe they want to give other guys another chance. No, Steph Curry, Devin Booker, they both won it, and you've got two guys from the Celtics. Shame on the NBA. It should be Joe Harris. Um, and in that one, actually, I'm going with Zach Levine. That's going to be my pick. Um, for the three-point contest. Uh, the skills challenge will also have six competitors led by Luka Doncic, Chris Paul, Robert Covington, Julius Randle, DeMontis Sabonis, and Nikola Vucevic. I just saw something, too, that um, Mike Conley is going to replace Devin Booker. Devin Booker is hurt, so Mike Conley is replacing him in the three-point contest. Interesting enough. Okay. The skills challenge and three-point contest will be held before the All-Star game. And like I said, Slam Dunk will be at halftime. Next up, Baylor. They clinched a Big 12 title after their first loss to Kansas. Totally forgot to bet on this game, but I was going to take Kansas. Um, You can take my word for that. I did say I think Kansas has a good chance to win this game. Kansas has been playing very good basketball of late. Um... They beat uh, number six West Virginia 94-89 OT on Tuesday, clinching their first outright conference title since 1950. Oh, my God. Oh, my God is right. So it took them 70 years. So, you know, if there's something you want to do in your life, you put your mind to it. It might not be done. You might not do it the first time. 70 times, or for 69 years, but that 70th year, boom, Baylor, baby. Uh, I just hope it doesn't take Rutgers 70 years to win a Big Ten title, or I might be in some trouble. Although I have good genes, so maybe I'll be alive by then. Okay, the number three-ranked Bears will close out the season against Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. All right. Let's go to move along to Thursday. Try to wrap this up soon. The Brewers and Jackie Bradley Jr. agree on a two-year deal. The Milwaukee Brewers uh, signed him to a two-year deal worth $24 million. He played his whole, what was it, first uh, eight seasons with the Red Sox. Can't hit a lit for a lick. Um, he did have one good all-star campaign in 2016, but he's got a career 239 batting average with 98 homers and 376 RBIs. The first couple of years of his career, he he was a much better hitter. Last like three, four, five years, he can't hit at all, man. Um, but he is probably one of the top two to three center fielders in all of baseball. And, you know, that is that's unrivaled. Uh, you'll 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 take his fielding all day long if he's going to hit 239 for sure. Okay, James Harden notched another triple double in the Nets win over the Rockets in his Houston homecoming. 
First game back at the Toyota Center since being traded. Not as crisp as the triple-double the night a uh, couple nights before that because he had like eight turnovers, but the Nets routed the uh, Rockets 132-114. to I believe the Rockets headed into the All-Star break with 13 straight losses. Um, that's bad. And uh, yeah, don't know what to say about that. But there was some controversy because they played a tribute video for Harden, which... I agree with should not have happened the way he did the franchise. He didn't want to be there. He basically forced his way out, came in overweight, yada, yada, yada. Um, but we could talk about that all day. Some people say it's uh, Tillman Fertitta just being smart um, because you want to basically lure other players to come here. You don't want to show that uh, there's any animosity, take the high road, all this and that. There was cheers. There were boos. But overall, I think it's a bad look. He did you dirty, forced his way out. Screw him, right? Like you're the owner of the team. You don't have to, you don't owe him anything. You don't have to give him a tribute video. But in today's PC world that we live in, okay, um, it's what everybody does. You get a tribute video regardless. So I don't have to agree with it. That's what they did. Um, the Rockets only had eight players available for this game. And also, uh, they're just bad. They, you know, Oladipo and John Wall did their thing. Both had like 30 points or so, but man, let's move on. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, critical of officials after their loss to the Sixers. I'm not happy about this either because if they would have beat the Sixers, the Nets would have jumped into first place for the first time since like 05. Uh, the Jazz in this game blew a five-point lead in the final two minutes of a 131-123 OT loss on Wednesday, and there was some controversy down the stretch. Now, I tuned into this game. I was watching because I knew what was going on. Fantasy stuff is happening, and I saw, I knew the potential if they would beat the Sixers. Um, so anyway, I'll get to what happened right before the end of regulation, but Mitchell got pissed off in OT. He was ejected with like 30 seconds left for double tech, um, and he had some interesting, interesting words after the game. Him and both he him and Rudy Gobert had some words. I'll get to the audio. Um well actually I'll play the audio and then I'll give context. Get screwed in a way by this. You know, like we we won this game, in my personal opinion. You know, but like I said, I'm gonna give them credit. They won whatever, cool. But like this is it's it's the consistent thing. And you know the question is can we can we do it? Can we sustain it? Are we for real number one? Like here the hell we are and it's getting it's, it's getting ridiculous, KK. That this is this is what's happening. You know what I mean? We have a whole second half of the season to go and get ready for, but like I'm sick of it. To be honest with you, we all are. You know, and I think this is something that just it bite it, it eats me. It eats at me, man. And it's I don't I don't y'all know what it is. We all know what it is, but it's it's really getting out of hand. It's really, really, really getting out of hand. And the league needs to do something about this because I want to see the last two minute report. I want to see that's Donovan Mitchell's words there. And then let me give that context. So the, uh, excuse me, the Jazz were leading 116 to 113 when Royce O'Neal saved a ball out of bounds and threw it ahead to Donovan Mitchell. Would have been an easy lay-in, dunk, whatever. And they blew the whistle, said Royce O'Neal was out of bounds, stepped out. They went to a video replay review, right? Go to Secaucus, all that. The refs are watching it. And somehow, it was obvious in the slow-mo, Royce O'Neal inbounds, never stepped down before he let go of the ball. 
easy, easy overturn, right? No, they kept the the ruling on the court. I hate this. Baseball does the same thing when you see a play and it's like, oh, but there's not enough evidence to overturn it. Same with like football and stuff too, right? It's bogus. If you're going to have replay review, get the call right. Everybody at home that's watching on television can see they got the call wrong. Anyway, that was the first thing. On the ensuing sixer possession, guess what happens? The Jazz, this is on the Jazz, fully on the Jazz, unprepared. You don't let Joel Embiid caught the ball, and he's dribbling, and then he realizes, I'm down by three, and he runs out to the three-point line. The center, Joel Embiid, who is slow-moving and isn't a good handler, he goes out to the three-point line, and the Jazz let him pump fake and then take the three over the defender, and he sinks it to tie the game. It was a joke. You should have just fouled him as soon as he started running out to that three-point line. Foul him before he gets the shot off, and then he gets two free throws, and you're still winning by one, and then it becomes a free throw game, and you probably win. But he hits the three with six seconds left. Then they go to overtime, and they, that's where they lose. So that's the part that pisses me off with the Jazz because you always should foul in those situations. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, the refs did get the call wrong, but I'm placing full blame on the Jazz for blowing this five-point lead with like two minutes left. It's And, and yeah, they're the number one seed in the West, but last couple games... They haven't looked so hot, have they? They're losing to good teams. Now, the other interesting thing where the Jazz are a little uh, peeved off is the free throw disparity, okay? Philadelphia, and now we know Joel Embiid, he's an MVP candidate. He gets to the foul line a ridiculous amount. He gets a lot of calls, okay? Jazz got to the line a total of 19 times, Sixers 35 times. Now, I haven't watched many Jazz games this season, but according to them and maybe some other people, this has been a growing theme that the Utah Jazz are getting little respect from uh, the league and the referees. So here were Rudy Gobert's words. This is almost two minutes long, I think. This is, this is, this is something. Um, I mean, every season, to be honest, I think we, you know, uh, as I've been in this league and I've been watching a lot of games, um, you know, I feel like a lot of guys are able to do things that we're not able to do. And, you know, our guys um, are not able to get some calls that everybody else in the fucking league gets. So, you know, we don't, we know that we're the Utah Jazz and we... You know, maybe some people don't want to see us, you know, go as far as I believe that we can go, but um, it's disappointing. You know, it's disappointing because I believe that I think the Sixers played a great game. You know, I don't want to, you know, they are a very good team. Uh, you got to give them credit, but I believe that we deserve to win that game. And, you know, when my guys are getting far uh, three times in a row, Mike Conley is going to the rim. They're grabbing him right in front of the officials, and there's no call. And you know, and on the, on the other side, there's calls that are invisible that are being made. Um, I think it's disrespectful, to be honest, to the game of basketball and to our team. And you know, hopefully they're gonna watch the game. Uh, you know, when they get home, we all we all do. I watch it too. But 
uh, hopefully they feel ashamed when they watch the game. And we know that, uh, you know, when you're a small market, I don't want to say that, but I, I really believe it. You know, after playing this league for eight years, it's a little harder, and that's one of the things that uh, we got to overcome. And that's why I told the guys, you know, when you're a small market, you gotta, you gotta be better than just better. You gotta be, you know, you gotta be elite, and uh, we gotta control what we can control. But it's. Uh... Yeah, very interesting words there. Um, wow. Uh, I don't know what to make of it because I, like I said, I haven't watched a lot of Utah jazz basketball this season. Um, but I can't really disagree too much. Um, they're a team that doesn't command much respect idealistically and the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, they want the Lakers or the Clippers to face off in the NBA Finals, probably against the Brooklyn Nets. That would be the most watched. That would make them the most money, all that good stuff, right? So they don't want the Utah Jazz to get there. And whether there's like this coup or, or like there's this plan in place and everybody's against the Jazz, I don't know. Um, but I watched the end of that game and they got royally screwed on that call. So, you know, who's to blame for that? Like I said, I blame them for blowing the lead, but that call lost them the game also. Uh, where are we at here? Okay, let's move on. No expanded MLB postseason or universal DH in 2021 this season. Now, I heard Tim Kirchin on ESPN Radio this morning. He said, of course, last year, I think the, it was either the universal DH or expanded playoffs. That came like an hour, excuse me, an hour before first pitch of the first game. So it's not out of the woods yet. This still could get done. But as of right now, an expanded postseason and universal DH like we saw last season will not be implemented this season. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Uh, the New York Giants released Golden Tate. He started just four games last season. There was some issues. He was told by Joe Douglas to just stay home. Um, he finished the season with 388 receiving yards, two touchdowns. He was suspended, yeah, uh, after he complained about his role. Um, the Giants, let's see. Uh, by releasing him, they free up six million in cap savings. But yeah, okay. Uh, we all saw this coming, right? Tate is not in the future plans of the New York Giants. They're a younger team, and this is about the time where we start to see these ca these salary cap uh, deductions, where they cut players to save room on the cap for uh, free agency. This is a really cool one. Major League Baseball designating June second as Lou Gehrig Day across baseball. This day will honor the legendary Yankee as well as raise awareness and funds for uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, obviously known as ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, okay? Uh, Lou Gehrig's Day, uh, Lou Gehrig Day will be focused on three things according to the uh, Major League Baseball, remembering his legacy and those lost to ALS, increasing awareness and money in the fight against ALS, and celebrating the groups and individuals leading the pursuit for cures. One of the worst, most debilitating diseases ever. They need a cure for this. They need to pour as much money into it as possible. Watching people go through this is just 
heartbreaking and saddening and sickening and everything else. So each team, um, actually June 2nd was chosen as the date because this is uh, something I didn't know. It marks both the date Garrick became the Yankees starting first baseman and the date he died from complications of ALS. Talk about like two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Like one of the greatest days of your life and then the last day of your life. He's the third Major League Baseball player to be celebrated with a league-wide day joining Jackie Robinson and Roberto Clemente. And each home team will hold ceremonies and display the number four ALS logos in their stadiums as part of the celebration. All players, managers, and coaches will wear a commemorative Lou Gehrig Day patch on their uniforms. Just awesome stuff. Love it. Okay, next up, one of the most mind-boggling, crazy stats in NBA history occurred yesterday. T.J. McConnell came off the bench and set an NBA record for steals in a half with nine first-half steals. He also recorded the 11th triple-double with steals since steals became an official stat in 1973-74. According to the Elias Sports Bureau, he's the first to do so off the bench ever. Um, And if that weren't enough, he also became the first Pacers player with a triple-double off the bench since Detlef Schrempf in February of 1993. Okay, and this is a bit of a longer episode today, but last up Friday, that is today's date. Let's get into it. Some sad news to report. Walter Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky's father, died at the age of 82. Wayne Gretzky announced the news via social media yesterday, saying that his father bravely battled Parkinson's and other health issues these last few years, but never let it get him down. Another horrific disease, Parkinson's. So RIP to uh, Walter Gretzky. Obviously, um, without him, there would be no Wayne, obviously the greatest hockey player of all time. Um, I read a good story, I want to say, in The Athletic about his upbringing and how he taught him, taught Wayne Gretzky to always anticipate where the puck was going. Um, Just incredible stuff. Okay, real quick, um, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I don't, I'm really pressed for time now, but Greg McDermott, head coach at, um, head men's basketball coach at University of Creighton, he has been suspended for tomorrow's game at the least. Um, pending review, they're going to talk to players, etc. He was suspended effective immediately, and this all stems from, um, let's see. Okay, last week they lost a game to Xavier. In the locker room after the game, he told his guys, um, you know, not to get down. He said, we need to stick together. We need to stay on the plantation, right? He used the word like twice. Um, And people are having a go at this. Like there's a fire firestorm right now. Fire Greg Dermott up. The cancel culture's back, right? Cancel Greg Dermott. He should be fired. He actually offered to resign, which I think is mind-blowing personally. Um, I don't want to offend anybody, of course, but from my perspective, and I heard 
um, a black gentleman, a caller on the Michael K show this tonight, who even said that uh, if he didn't mean it in a malicious way, which obviously he didn't, he was trying to rally his team, then there's nothing wrong with it. And I believe the players, he asked the players, I'll resign if that's what you want. They said no. And I think he also immediately knew when he said the word he shouldn't have said it. But you have to be very, very careful about what goes on in, in today's day, in this day and age. Everybody is filming. There's cameras everywhere. You just got to be really careful. And and the one thing I will say, I, I don't want to stay on this too long, but listen, the best coaches and basketball, you got to be a little extra nutty. I mean, all coaches are a little nutty, football too, but basketball, because you're dealing with some of the worst officials, the worst officials of any sport by, by and far, not even close. You have to be a little bit nutty. Okay. Um, all the greats are a little bit nutty, right? I mean, come on. Uh, you've got Bobby Knight throwing chairs across the floor, like, you know, hitting players. Um, Mike Rice at Rutgers, he was a little too nutty throwing balls at his players, berating them like actual abuse, right? Stuff like that. But all the best, they're all a little nutty. And if you dig deep enough, you'll find some crazy stuff that they've said or done, right? But that's because they command excellence and they get the job done, all right? There's nothing wrong with Greg McDermott's coaching style. He was trying to fire his team up. Okay, he used a word that I wouldn't have used, right? Analogy I would not have used, okay? But that doesn't mean that he should be fired for it. And I hope to God... Um, that he makes he makes it back by tournament time because right now Creighton is ranked 14th in the country and his son Doug McDermott is in the NBA because of his father because of Greg McDermott so don't tell me this guy isn't a superb coach all right and as far as I could tell none of the players really took issue with it and, and um, I think he'll be okay but just a bizarre story that took on a form of its own and I thought I'd touch on it. Okay, last night, Team LeBron, Team Durant, uh, LeBron and Kevin, they picked their all-star teams. LeBron selecting first. He took Giannis, followed by Steph, Luka, and Jokic. A lot of uh, West players there, right? Then uh, the reserves are Damian Lillard, Ben Simmons, Chris Paul, Jalen Brown, Paul George, DeMontis Sabonis, and Rudy Gobert. Okay, on the east side, Durant took Kyrie, no surprise, Embiid, Kawhi, Bradley Beal, and Jason Tatum. He also selected Harden, no surprise, Booker, Zion, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, Nikola Vucevic, and Donovan Mitchell to round out his reserves. Right off the bat, I don't care what anybody says, a lot of people are saying Team LeBron's going to win this. No way. On paper, I'm looking at this, and my first reaction it has nothing to do with me being a Nets fan and you know any of that. that team on paper Durant's team is legit it's way better than LeBron's team LeBron's team can't shoot Giannis can't shoot uh LeBron can't really shoot Steph okay Luka's not a great great shooter he's not known as a great shooter he makes some ridiculous shots but and then Jokic you know I just think that team's gonna be gonna have issues um, and I think that the East, of course, all right, of course you're going to give the nod to, to LeBron's team. That's the easy way to go since Durant will not be playing in this. But you throw Harden into the starting lineup there, and boom, 
that you're fine. I mean, I mean, I'm just very surprised by this. The one interesting caveat of this was um, I'm going to play this clip. Charles Barkley um, had took issue with LeBron because the two Utah Jazz players were actually selected last. So listen to this. This is this. I'm not Special going for this. U, I'm not going for this Utah Jazz slander right now. <laughs> Me neither. Come on, man. Yeah, I'm not going for the Utah Jazz They got the best right record now. in the NBA. They have two best players in the last two standings. I'm this not going slander. for it. This is slander, America. Oh no. Yeah, Shaq's not. Shaq's not in your ear, is he? Come on. What's going on? Here we go. Um, he's joking slightly, but. LeBron did respond, and this was his, you know, cockamamie response. Also, I guess, trying to be funny a little bit. I just I just want to say something, because there, there's no slander. There's no slander to the Utah Jazz, but you guys got to understand. You guys got to understand, just like in video games growing up, we never played with Utah. Even as great as Carl Malone and John Stockton were, we would have never picked those guys in video games. Never. LeBron, this is a video game. Hold on. I, I got... Oh, so we know. We got to yeah. leave it right there. No, we got to no, take gotta it. No, no, you can say something. I got to say one thing. LeBron says, I really need some size. And he got seven five for <laughs> Gobert. Right. And he goes with six two Sabonis. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, Are you I, I was like, I need some size. Uh, Rudy Gobert is seven five. He takes a six two guy. Nobody, <laughs> plays, Nobody plays video games. I just knew he was going to go back. Yeah, so they had some fun with that. All right. Um, it came out today. The Pistons and Blake Griffin have finally agreed on a buyout, unrestricted free agent. There's about five teams, all playoff contenders, that are interested. You've got both L.A. teams, the Heat, the Warriors, and my Nets, who, according to Shams and I think Woj, couple sources there, very respectable sources, obviously the top. The Brooklyn Nets are the current front runners to land Blake Griffin. So had a little bit of a back and forth with my buddies today. My one friend thinks Blake Griffin is horrible, washed up, sucks, this, that. Uh, actually, two of my friends have been saying that. Oh, he hasn't dunked the ball in two years. No, 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 no. Blake Griffin did exactly what James Harden did in Houston, forced his way out essentially, and is on a crappy team that he doesn't want to be on, a team that is just, they lost to the Knicks by double digits last night. That tells you enough. They're just bottom of the barrel right now in, in the East, and he wants to be on a winning content, uh, contender. Now, come to the Nets, and he's back in business with DeAndre Jordan. They did some big-time things when they were in uh, L.A. a number of years ago, and I think Blake Griffin would be a perfect addition. I am of the mindset that he is not washed up, and he has a lot left if he could stay healthy. So that's something to keep an eye on, see where he ends up landing. Okay, last up, I want to talk about uh, bad guy G uh, Jim Beheim. Did anybody see this? So... Jim Beheim press conference. I don't remember if it was after a loss or what have you, but um, he was asked. I don't think I actually have that audio clip. Oh, yeah, I do have the audio clip right here. Okay, Jim Beheim was just 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 listen for yourselves. 
but, but, but if I had played Jesse and Kodari, we'd probably be 22 and 2 now. I just didn't see that. And I couldn't figure that out by myself after 45 years. I need a reporter to figure that out who's never played basketball and is 5 foot 2. Talk about a bad guy. Um, and like I said, basketball coaches, a little bit out there, a little bit nutty. Um, no remorse either for the comment. I, I have one thing to say about Jim Beheim. Your son Buddy sucks. Um, I'm five foot four myself, and I'll outshoot you or your son any day of the week. So to come at a guy for his size, really um it has bad guy written all over it. And then the way he's just narcissistically goes to sip his drink or whatever, his water, just bad guy all over. Um, and I do mean that. I, I mean, I'm, your son doesn't, doesn't suck. He plays at, in Division One, but, uh, you know, there's a reason he's playing Division One, and it's because of you. And I've seen him play, and he's not that good. Uh, like I said, I'm five foot four. I'm not going to beat him one-on-one, -on -one, but I'll outshoot anybody any time of the week. Um, so, yeah, reporters have a job to do, right? And that reporter, by the way, that's a win for that reporter because he elicited a, a crazy um, response, okay, an ill-fitting response from Jim Beheim. So now he's a winner. He gets a public apology probably from Jim Beheim, who's going to be told to uh, definitely issue an apology for that one, but he doesn't care. He, you know, Beheim, he's, uh, he's not, you know, he's not apologetic and he has no remorse for that. But wow, that was an interesting one that made the rounds earlier this week. Uh, I just took Heaton's with it because of the five foot two thing. You know, it's probable that the guy never played basketball, but come on, you're height shaming now. All right, I'm five four, and you know, it's not very fun. But anyway, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I didn't really realize that Bayheim had that in him. We move on. Okay, what is going on this weekend? You've got UFC 259 tomorrow night at 10. Well, that starts at 10 p.m. Pay-per-view ESPN+. Plus. You've got Jan Blackowitz. Uh, he will defend his lightweight heavyweight, light, excuse me, light heavyweight uh, belt against undefeated middleweight champ Israel Adesanya. I think Adesanya could be like the fourth or fifth guy to hold two belts at two different classes, something like that maybe. You've got the co-main event will pit Women's featherweight champ Amanda Nunez, always fun to watch against uh, Megan Anderson. The other, uh, I, I feel bad for Anderson, uh, yikes. The other title fight will be at men's bantamweight. I want to say that's like my my weight class. is No, that's probably, is bantamweight like the 120s, 130s? I don't know. Uh, with Peter Yan defending the title against... Uh, Aljamain Sterling. I probably butchered that name. You've got All-Star Weekend. It's Well, it's not really the weekend. It's on, on one day on Sunday. Um, in honor of the All-Star Game, 
I was going to go over some crazy like stats that happened for the whole entire first half, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to skip that because we're an hour and 15 in now. Um, college basketball conference tur- tournaments have started. Um, let's see. There are some really good uh, NCAA basketball games. Now's the time, guys. If you're into March Madness, you better start paying attention to these conference tournaments and watching these games. You've got a number of uh, top 25 matchups throughout the weekend. Um, You've got, let's see. um, Oh, yeah, Nova. They just lost one of their better players, so that's going to be interesting. You've got big one to watch, 4 p.m. tomorrow. Number four, Illinois, on the road at number seven, Ohio State. Um, you've got Creighton. They'll be playing at 5 p.m. against Butler without Greg McDermott. See how that goes. And then Sunday, you've got um, Baylor hosting Texas Tech, Michigan at, uh, at Michigan State, Texas TCU. Also, uh, I failed to mention Saturday, watch out for my Alabama squad. That's one of my teams um, that I am interested in watching. Might be a team I pick to make a, a bit of a run in the tournament. Nate Oates, great coach. Um So, yeah, there you have it. And finally, on this date, really nothing good for today, so I'm going with one I saw yesterday. Kobe Bryant's Dear Basketball won an Oscar for Best Animated Short Film March 4th, 2018, three years ago. It marked the first Oscar win for any professional athlete. So there you have it, guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Go bet on some sports, bet on All-Star Weekend, bet on uh, some, I don't know, UFC tomorrow night, you name it. Um, That's all I've got. Stay tuned for another episode next week. I've got to go shower. It's already like 9.30. I've got to get this episode uploaded hopefully by 10. Then I can uh, shower and go to bed because I've got an early morning for another softball practice. This is the Pody. And I am officially signing off until next week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Enjoy your weekend, people. See you next week.